Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Adam Yushevsky. He is bringing a very unique perspective. Uh, this is a gentleman who is in the hockey life for, uh, from a coaching standpoint. He's going through this with his children, trying his best, taking a lot from many various sources, people, etc., um, and creating an unbelievable environment for his kids. So really excited to share what a volunteer parent can do and I feel like there's a lot of uh, coaches out there that give a lot of crap to parent coaches, but I think there's a ton of great ones out there. Just highlighting uh, Adam in particular is amazing. He's done a phenomenal job. And there are so many quality volunteers out there in this sport. I can't wait to share this positive episode with you. So without further ado, let's get into it. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, I'm excited to bring on one of our Hockey IQ newsletter fanatics and unbelievable youth coach, Adam Yushevsky. Got it. All right. So let's get into it. So you're from Canada, uh, outside the Toronto area. Um, give us a background of, of how you've got to where you are um, and then what level you're coaching. And then I'll, I'll ask some questions from there. Cool. Okay. So as I said to you in our, in a little preamble, I, I, I look up so much to guys like John Ludkemeyer you have on, uh, before, you know, a, a an inspired, um, a hockey parent who is a, is a, is a relentless learner. So <clears throat> my background is I grew up in, in the Ottawa Valley farm town called Elmont, um, played tons of sports like most kids in that environment. And, wasn't great at anything, but it was so small. I got to play everything because there was about 20 kids for each birth year. So there wasn't like, you know, a big city now where there's hundreds of kids at each birth year vying for spots on rep teams. It was like, there's two teams, you know, one and a two team and everyone got to play and you got to play every sport. So played lots of sports growing up. Um, rep hockey was a, a passion, you know, until I was in my late teens, I played a couple of years of low level junior in the area. Um, played high school football and then university football up here and, and ran track. And so I just loved competing. I was never great at anything, but I just enjoyed the camaraderie and playing. And then that got put on hold as I finished school and, and started living. And then I started having kids and I having three sons and uh, my, my oldest now 14, I got a 14 year old, 12 year old and a, a 10 year old. And as soon as the 14 year old turned seven, uh, he, he wanted to play hockey. So uh, got involved as a, as a parent coach with his 
youth uh, hockey team. And uh, I've just been following him, really. So now, uh, seven years later, I've coached in the Oakville Rangers hockey organization. And I think the Oakville Rangers Hockey Club is the largest minor hockey organization in Canada by enrollment. At least that's, I always see that in the marketing material. So we, we must be up there. And I coach a U15 double uh, A team or tier two team. And I'm an assistant coach of my, my uh, younger guys, U13 double A team as well. And then I'm a fanatical fan and uh, cheerleader on my, my U, U11 sons team. So living my dream, Greg, honestly, I, I uh, try to spend the day making enough to pay the bills, pay for hockey. And then the evenings uh, chasing these guys around and, and being involved. Sounds like a lot of fun. And, and I know that uh, you've got a great outlook on life. Uh, and if people Google your name, they'll see a uh, article that will we'll kind of reference. I think it has a lot of good pieces um, from, from you being November's coach of the month. Uh, and I just, I just want to read a, a quick portion here and, and stick with me because my brain moves a lot faster than my mouth does. So I'll, I'll screw up at some point here. But uh, from a parent, as told by his nomination, we feel we have the best coach possible for our boys this season. Never have I met a more positive person or one that has given so much to a group of boys. He cares so much for our boys and worked extremely hard to help each player reach their full potential. His primary objective is to develop the boys to be good citizens, healthy and strong athletes, and talented hockey players, and in that order of priority. His coaching program includes elements for each of these areas. And then, and then we dive more into specifics, but I'm curious how, how you came to the realization or the reasoning, maybe why it was so important for you um, to talk about being good citizens first and foremost, um, and really develop healthy and strong athletes second. You know, it, it's interesting. From, from the time I first got involved with that, that, uh, U8 house league team seven years ago, I, I noticed that like, I noticed two things, there was this sort of conflicting um, dynamic in these hockey rinks. On the one hand, it was beautiful. Like you had all these kids and, and, and families uh, piling into rinks and, and having, a, you know, having, a, having a blast playing this game we love. And on the other hand, a lot of negativity, like uh, a lot of grownups behaving not great. Um, I shouldn't say a lot, but, but a few who seem to have a significant presence, you know, yelling and banging on glass and talking down to the officials and, 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 and whatnot. And it struck me, um, you know, I, I grew up in an environment of, of sort of the, the hard ass coach, uh, guys who tried to motivate with negativity and, and, you know, I, I'm just, I'm the kind of person I, I wake up each day and it'll sound silly, but like grateful, you know, I'm grateful that I have three sons and a happy marriage and a job I like and all those things. And then, but then I get to the hockey rink and it's literally the best two hours of the day. And, um, I just felt like, uh, reading, you know, last time you and I spoke, I mentioned, I, I, I love to read about co coaches and leaders that I admire. And you go from, you know, John Wooden to urban Meyer to, um, John Gordon. I'm a big fan of his books about being a teammate and a citizen. And I just thought, you know what, it's, it, it's, there's so much material available to teach kids technical hockey skills, which I really enjoy. And I try hard to learn and, 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 uh, and do a good job of that. But I think where, where maybe, maybe I saw things falling short was on, are we spending enough time using this as an opportunity to, 
just teach these guys to be good guys, to be the kind of guys that hold doors for old ladies, you know, without, without being told to, and, and to say please and thank you and, and to treat officials with respect, you know, and treat each other with respect. And so it just, it, it kind of gathered steam. And, and I coached with another guy named Greg Newton uh, for a few years, his son, his son and my son are buddies. They played together and we both felt the same. So it, we just started becoming an approach we took with everybody. And then, you know, that, that a parent on, on the team that you just read from there uh, obviously did something very kind uh, for me. And it's funny because that team had a very deep losing record, but the kids I think had, had a blast. And uh, you know, we all learned together and we focused on doing as many community service initiatives as we could that season. And those kind of things, I think, uh, weighed just as much in, in those kids' memories and their experience as, you know, what happened against the town, you know, next door on a Tuesday night. Like that's wasn't nearly as memorable as some of the um, some of the community, you know, enhancement initiatives. That's what we called it. We tried to get every boy to do one. And it became this awesome, this awesome thing that we looked forward to. So it, it, I don't know, just a snowball that got going and it became just as enjoyable a part of this whole experience for me as the hockey part. And, and other people kind of embraced it too, which made it easy to keep going. I, I'm a big fan of the off-ice component. Um, in, in my experience and many coaches I've talked to, uh, the faster people mature and more worldly they are and the better citizens and how quickly that happens, uh, for whatever reason, seems to be the exact same level of ability for them to improve off the ice. So I, I'm always fascinated by coaches that focus on that off ice portion because unbeknownst to a lot of them, even if they don't understand maybe the game as deep as, as a lot of coaches, uh, they're probably out coaching those guys that have been around the rink or gals that have been around the rink for a long time coaching um, just by focusing on these things. So I, I love that um, a lot. But Further in this article, I, I think we're also talking about on-ice stuff that I think super, super valuable and not enough coaches do. Um, you actually share your practice plans in advance. Um, and not only do that, you actually have videos uh, that help prime these players to understand what you're looking for within the practice and within the details of the drills. I'm curious how that came about and uh, you know wh why that's so important to you. You know what that that came about just from listening to podcasts like yours and getting ideas like from guys like you and and listening to um like daryl belfry and uh, bob mancini you know just just hearing over and over again like no matter how little you're you're talking on the ice uh with kids taking a knee you can do it less and and so the practice plans in advance actually one one of the one of the boys fathers suggested it he said, you know, he'd coached for a number of years. He said, you might want to send out the plans in advance. And I bet a bunch of kids read them. And I thought, huh, well, that would probably save me a few minutes on the ice just like to do, to do whatever it is we're working on. And it was amazing. Like I circulated it and, you know, I could tell they're probably uh, of 17 guys, probably 12 or 13, their parents would take the time to print it off and, and give it to them in, in the car. And, but it made a difference because the first four or five guys in line, they, they knew, they knew what we we're doing. And I wouldn't say we had a hundred percent hit rate on it. I mean, if I had a busy day, sometimes I wouldn't get it out, but when I got it out in advance, first the kids felt, it felt kind of pro, you know, like to be looking at a practice plan before. And then the guys that, that embraced it, they really embraced it. They'd show up at practice and have questions beforehand. Why are we doing this? You know, and what, what, what is this, how does this apply to a game? And then I'd have to prepare more and have answers to those kinds of questions. 
and it became just a lot more dialogue about thinking, thinking about the game and, and why we're, we're working on things we are in practice. So that's, that snowballed and it became, it became a no brainer. And then the video stuff was, was awesome because I knew other coaches who were amazing at like, you know, getting a, a video of a game and then, and then cutting, like, like slicing it and dicing it and breaking all, all this stuff. That's not me. Unfortunately, I had a parent who had this, like this shaky hand, you know, camcorder took these kind of rough videos, but they were good enough that if I went through it and found three or four, you know, great plays that, that a boy made, which were exactly what we worked on. And then a couple of plays where they weren't bad plays, but there were things where I, I, I would stop and say, what else could you have done here? This is what you did. Like, what else could you have done? And it was unbelievable. These kids were 12 years old and they just, they loved that dialogue. They loved being asked, they watched watching the video first that their parents were chuffed, right? Their parents got to say, Oh yeah, cool. Look, look at that play you made. And, you know, we know exactly where it was in, 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 in the video uh, in terms of the, the, the time and your coach noticed that. And then they would show up at the meetings and sometimes they would say, no, no, here's why I did that. I think it was the right play. And we just got into these great conversations, you know? And, and so those two things just, just fed together. And over the course of the year, I, I really felt like it, it didn't just you know, help the guys get better but it helped them enjoy the game more because they understood it more. So it was like, it's like in math class, if you understand the calculus better, it's, it makes more sense and you enjoy it more. I thought it was the same kind of impact. So they just kind of snowballed. I think that's, that's fascinating. Um, Cause I've, I've found that coaches who start acquiring all this knowledge, they start just kind of spewing it on the kids and, and they kind of pick it up, but it doesn't become personalized to like them and their skill set, or they become over relying on, Oh, coach told me. So I do this every time. I, I really enjoyed how you said that you actually were just asking them questions. Like, I don't know how many players can like think of answers. you like, you don't even have to have an, I'm, I'm curious to see how many times you asked a question where you had an answer versus when you didn't have an answer. Cause I think that's so important that you don't have to have all the answers. Um, and I think it's almost better if you don't, because then you can just guide the players on their journey to figure out solutions that work for them. Like sometimes you do need to prompt them and give them some ideas. I would say like maybe 80, if not 90% of the things are super obvious when the kids just take a half second to think about it. Just like you said, you asking a question gives them that pause. Um, that, I mean, that's my fair way to coach is, is get them thinking, get them reflecting and finding solutions for their skill set. So I'm curious your thoughts. hundred percent. Like, you know, another, another coach that whose stuff, and you'll, you'll see, I make constant references to other people because the reality is I have zero creativity. I'm just grabbing and stealing and trying to mold it into into my, my style and approach. And sometimes I have to dumb it down for myself. Like when I find something really technical from, from a high level coach, but you know, I, I found, I came across those, those USA coaching series uh, last spring or maybe, maybe a previous, previous time from Bill Beanie. And he showed a, a movie clip. He, he fumbled on the, on the video, and he, but he showed this movie clip of, uh, of a scene from a jazz orchestra. And he's making the point that like, look, these guys, if you just let them go, they all, they all go and, 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 uh, you know, riff and find their own melody and, and they're creative within whatever context you want them to be. But if you just give them space and, and let them uh, figure things out, they will. And so I, I found that asking them the questions, I mean, not only did they, 
they often came up, even if I thought I had the right answer, I, what I learned over time was sometimes there is no right answer. There's two or three, you know, things that they could have seen. I wasn't on the ice. I, I wasn't looking at it from their perspective and they saw something really cool. And especially over time, I found the answers got more and more interesting, you know, so it ended up being them guiding me versus vice versa. I ended up learning more from a source that I hadn't expected. And that was as, as a, as a, uh, a learning addict, it was awesome. That's fascinating. Um, I actually have a little bit of a rift with just letting the players go. I, I think they need some guidance um, and some sparks. They need that little spark plug. You know, the motorcycle doesn't start without a little bit of a spark plug first. Uh, and you, you can ride it like a bike all you want and push it down a hill, but eventually for it to really go, you got to get some sparks. I think that's what the questioning is for it. And I think you hit on a, on a very important part is like, you can start to go places where you didn't plan to, but were probably extremely valuable. And before you know it, it's like a co it's, it's a journey together with the player. It's like a co-learning environment and it's totally it's awesome. And like, you can start to get in the minds of the players and understand like, Oh, there's some different types of processing of the plays by each different types of players. Um, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I don't know about you, but uh, I probably ask questions more often than, than most people would assume of questions where I don't have the answer. You know, I'm just looking to get in the mind and understand what the player's thinking or just prompt them to do some reflection. I don't know. How, how many questions would you say? Like 50% of questions, 10, 90, where you don't really have an answer in mind or you only have like a vague answer? Honestly, Greg, I find over time the, the ratio, the ratio gets more and more weighted to I don't have, I don't have a definitive answer. And and like what I found is that a couple of years ago, starting that approach. I had an answer in my head. I'm not sure it was the right one, but I had decided what I thought was right. And I found what, where, where, where it gets more powerful is, is the more that I can just not do that, let, let them respond. And, and, and not only that, but try deliberately not to have the answer to some of these questions, you know, like, so I'm finding for me, um, no different than again, talking to guys that I look up to as hockey coaching mentors, Try, try to ask the question with no expectation, no, no predetermined answer, maybe some ideas as to where to guide them if they're looking for that, as you said, but, but more just, just genuinely looking for their perspective. That's, that's excellent. Really, really like that. Um, just talked about a lot. So we'll, we'll just keep moving here down, down the line. Cause there's, there's so many good little tidbits. I think that you do, and you probably don't even realize all of them. Uh, but I, I also really enjoyed it in, in this article. They talked about how you give feedback. Uh, and it's one of the, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people give very uh, canned jargon, we got to be harder on pucks. You know, like what, what does that mean to players? Like I, I, if you told me that as a player, I literally did not know what that meant. Um, and your feedback is, is very specific. Uh, and they mentioned it's also very positive to the point where it's, it's very actual for players. Like they can palpably take it and go utilize it in a game. Is that something you consciously do or is that something that just kind of comes uh, from your personality or your background or whatever? Uh, I think that the person who wrote that was probably being generous when they said I was, you know, super specific. I hope I'm getting better at that over time, but definitely positive. There's that, that's very deliberate. I mean, I, 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 
anyone who knows me and, and some folks don't, don't, you know, it's probably too much, but I think that the positive leadership is a superpower. I mean, I, I've seen kids who the number one challenge I find with, with, with kids in sports is their parents are putting pressure on them. They're putting pressure on themselves. They feel peer pressure. And uh, I think when you can just help them relax and just let them know first how much you love watching them play. And, and when a guy comes off, I can't help myself. So I'm like, holy smokes, that was an awesome play. You know, or, or if a guy comes off and he's coughed up a puck, but before that, like he was trying to do something really cool that we just worked on. Like that's the part that we should see, right? I think that's the part that if we're, if we're trying to teach kids, um, you know, teach kids and then get them to apply it in games, if they try to do what, what we were working on, but it, does, it happens not to work out because some good player in the other team is trying to stop them. I mean, that's, it's not going to work all the time at any level. You emphasize what they tried to do. And all of a sudden a guy whose shoulders are slumped over and his eyes are down. Now he's pumped up because he's, and, and he goes out on his next shift, like fired up instead of, you know, coming off and hearing like, why the hell, why'd you do that? That was, that was terrible. You, you know, you turned over the puck. Like, I don't know. I, I, I find that, I have found Greg, honestly, like that with all three of these age groups that, you know, it, it can't be all the time. If, if a guy is not behaving well or, or, or needs to hear constructive criticism, you got to give it. But if most of what they hear from a coach is, is positive, you know, uh, positive feedback, I just think guys thrive on that guys and girls. The, the only other, the only thing I'd say, I got to be cautious on it is my middle son. He's, he's a pretty, uh, he's a very perceptive guy. So he's the point now he'll get in the car. He'll say, you know, say, I don't think I played very well. And I'll say, oh, I thought you played great. He's like, you always say that. Like, so I've lost credibility with him. Too much positivity. But, you know. Sound like Ted Lasso specific, out there. What's that? Sounding like uh, Ted Lasso. I'm not sure if you've seen that show. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's been go- it's making the rounds, especially in the coaching community. Oh, yeah. Being ultra love positive. It. I love that. Right. So, Yeah. I, I had a, a coach mentor and his sons after a while and they, they told him, like, Hey dad, uh, not every moment is a teachable moment. <laughs> you could just be dad for, for a minute. That'd be cool. <laughs> Which I thought was, was humorous. Um, but, to, but, but to your first point there um, about like screaming at the kids or being positive. Uh, what I think that not enough people understand that what they do either creates permission or pressure. Like that's, something I'm very cognizant of when, when I'm going about things is like, you know, my, my get, if I'm letting something slide, okay, maybe I'm giving permission to do something or being positive, like, Oh, great try there. You know, it may didn't work out. Can't okay, give a person to try something versus, you know, Hey, you need to go glassing out, never go through the middle or why did you make this decision? And it got picked off, you know, whatever it is, like, especially with kids that are creative out there and, and they can do stuff like you don't want to limit them. So it's like creating that pressure versus permission. So I, I think that's super valuable. Um, and I, I love the positivity. You definitely need to be more positive than negative, um, especially at the younger ages. So I, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of that. Um, and, and I think one thing that you're, you're really great is creating moments for kids uh, as well whether that being allowed to give the, the pregame talks uh, or just like doing the, the final sweep in the dressing room to leave it better than what they found it. So I'm curious, I, can't, I, I have an idea where you're going with this, but I'm curious, like 
within sport, like making it very memorable, a very positive experience. Oh man. I mean, you, you, you nailed it. I find there's just, it's like attitude. You think of all the things that when you get out of the car with your hockey bag, headed to the rink that you can control. I mean, you can control your facial expression, your body language, how you're walking in, the vibe you're giving your teammates, you, you know, the, the way you communicate with people, you control all those things. I mean, no matter how, what your day was like, you got a chance to wipe it fresh. And then I found early in that season. So I started getting, giving guys. So like one of my hockey heroes is Adam Graves. You know, he's uh, my wife plays with his wife on a, a women's league team in Oakville. And so I get to hang out with them socially sometimes uh, at, at their, their team events. Like I'm a hanger on in this, in this group. And here's a guy who's uh as great a hockey player as he was even better person, you know, like phenomenal person. So uh, he gave one of my boys a little banner with his number from his retirement night. And I used that. I gave that to a boy each week as the dressing room captain and the responsibility as the dressing room captain that night was uh, to, to give the, the pregame speech. And these kids would prepare, like they'd show up. I had stuff great. Like these guys, they, they, some of these gave, guys gave moving, pregame speeches where it was like, man, that was, that was heavy and awesome. And then the other responsibility was to be the last guy out of the room and make sure that every piece of tape was picked up. Like we had janitors coming, we'd get, you know, we'd get diced on the ice some night, but the janitor up from, you know, up in Orangeville would come and say, man, like you guys, that's the cleanest I've ever seen the room afterwards. And I thought, you know what, we can walk out of here proud about something. And I wasn't not to belittle it. Like, yeah, we didn't have a great game, but you know what? You had your, your chins high. You, no one cleans up after you guys. You took care of, you took care of the room afterwards, you know, you so win no matter what hundred percent, man. And, and some people think that's really cheesy. And I think it's the most important thing. You know, I honestly do as, as far as making solid young men, like that's more important than having a good wrist shot, I think. And I think their part will come as a, as, as a result of trying to be a good guy, you know, you, you'll, you'll get good in everything. So that's, but I tell you, those the, the pregame speeches, like I heard some awesome stuff, some hilarious stuff and some awesome stuff. And initially I had some parents approach me and say, hey, you know, uh, like my son, he can't go tonight. He just he's so nervous. So can he go in a couple of months? And I'd say no, because in a couple of months, you're going to come and have the same request. You know, he's never going to go. This couldn't be a more loving, safe environment. So he's going to go up there. I'll stand beside him. I'll help him through it. Every guy there is scared and anxious about standing in front of a room and talking, and he's going to be fine. And he was. And then, and that, that, you know, you talk about permission, other kids gave him permission and made him feel, you know, emotionally safe. Then they're all up there. Now they all want to do it. And so that was a win, right? Even if you didn't win games, that was a win with this group. I love it. It's striving for excellence in everything, whether totally uh, emotionally, uh, athletically you name it in any shape or form you know they're always striving for excellence so i love that type of, of thing the university of Akron, we do something similar with, with our life you program and assigning jobs for each game whether it be like finding a scorekeeper or communicating with the person who's doing the anthem just like these little things that just truly add up and add fulfillment excellence like i'm i'm more proud of my student toastmasters than i am of my actual college degree one, one was a lot more expensive than the other, but one gave me the confidence to take on the world. Right. Totally. That's awesome. So 
something that I'm passionate about. I've had some discussions with players, but fortunately, Scotty Bowman, you and I are all on the same page. Um, giving players a chance to play different positions. So valuable. Um, obviously, the NHL, Scotty Bowman didn't exactly do it in games too much, but I know coming up the ranks and in definitely in practice, every single practice, every player played every position. Um, curious where that came from you. I, I've been doing it just because I think it's so valuable. I have different perspectives all over the game. Um, and then I was listening to Scotty Bowen, I think it was like six months ago, and he was talking about how that was something he used to do consistently. Um, and probably made sense, you know, why Fedorov was able to play defense so easy later in his career. Honestly, like it, I spent so much time with, especially with my, my oldest guy when he was younger coming up, I would hear so many people say, you know, my 10 year old's a left winger. And I'm like, how, how can you be sure? You know, that's, that just seems, that seems really locked in pretty early. And then I, my youngest guy started playing with um, uh, a guy named PJ Yedden. He played at Colgate years ago. So he was like, you know, he's a lit, he's in our community. He's a legit hockey guy, right? He's played high level. And, and Paris would ask him, Hey, what position will my son play? Like, I think he's a center, right? Like mo most teams will have 15 aspiring centermen, right? And a goalie. And so PJ had a great way to describe it that I, I just embraced it. He said, every kid's going to play WCS. Oh yeah. Well, what does that mean? What coach says, you know, like, and he would just move guys around and he would move guys around during games sometimes. And I'm watching it going, that feels right. So sometimes I would, I would put a guy who's normally a right winger, throw him out at lefty and just take, you know, you're going to be great. Like you're going to, you're going to figure this out. Don't worry. Uh, some, you know, for sure in practice, try to move guys around and guys would be, they're, they're so excited for that. Cause again, I, I like the way you describe it. It's giving someone permission, not necessarily formally, you know, saying the word permission, but it's like saying it's okay. You know, you're, you got a green light here to just do some learning and, and, and figure it out and talk to your partner. He'll have some tips for you. Talk to the guy who's traded positions with you. He'll have some tips for you. You know, we can sit down and whiteboard some stuff here. But like the stakes are just so low in minor hockey. They're like we play in this tier two, you know, peewee league. And and some folks, you can tell by the facial expression of some parents that this is like life or death. You know, it's a game in November. You think these stakes are so low. We should treat them as low. I mean, we want them to do their best and, and be their best selves and, and play to their potential for sure. But if we win that game or you know, that night or not, because Johnny didn't play left D, I mean. So I, I just, I, I think kids learn the game more. They, they appreciate their teammates more. They have more fun and it feels less, less pressurized when you, uh, when you do stuff like that. That's just, that's just one thing you can do to achieve those things. I think. Yeah. It's, it's playing the long game, which I, I really like. Long and game. some kids cool. will go kicking and screaming back to play defense. I remember two years ago, I had a player played centers entire life. Right. And I'm like, you need to learn how to play defense. Okay it's going to make everything in your, your position and your actual like game. So I put him back there for two, three games and yeah, I did all right, but I kept coming off of like shaking his head, like what is going on or what am I doing? And then the following season, uh, he ended up thanking me just randomly. And I was like, man, took a long time for him to fully realize that it was very helpful for him in his development, but he ended up seeing the positivity and figured it out and, 
saw it. So it was, it was quite funny for him to say that, you know, it's good. I'm like, Oh, now you say, and you know, make, make it fun and memorable, but it's just, just incredible how you play the long game, how much more effective your decision-making and, and coaching truly becomes. It takes guts, right? Like, cause it, cause it's that, those first, that first while when, when the, the child is, is pushing back and you can bet that his parent probably isn't thrilled. Like some of the parents would think, well, what, why are you putting them there? You know, they get really, but then they, to have them all see the light at the end, the long game, that's fantastic. Yeah. I feel like that's the mismatch for, for most people um, is, is especially the coaches that are the best. They have this long-term vision for these players um, and same with a lot of these talent evaluators and developers. And then you have the, these players and parents that, can't really see that or they're not quite there. They see kind of the then and the now, which is why I think coaching doesn't matter any part of your life, right? Is super important because it's very hard for you to see past tomorrow totally. or past today even. Um, it's, it's just incredible, the, the mismatch and timing and how that I feel like creates 90% of the problems out there, the perceived problems that really aren't. I think you're right, yeah. So I'm curious. So we, we've talked a lot about that, all of the stuff that's in the article. Um, is there something beyond that or something else that you feel like you do that's super important and valuable or things that you've, you've learned over the years that have just worked so well um, and that you wish that you would have known earlier or other people under, should understand? Um, again, it's just, just stuff that I've seen other guys that I admire do. I mean, two things. One is um, you know, building more and more uh, small area games or games with constraints or what, whatever, however someone wants to describe it, you know, tr- trying to teach through competitive situations. I think obviously it's, it's it, this is, you know, nothing unique about this, but it amazes me. Like when I was playing competitive hockey 30 years ago, that game versus the game today that's driven so much by the recognition that this is really about habits and, and skills and being able to play in small spaces. I mean, it's incredible. And I, I, I go back to Bill Beanie, you know, I watch his, I watched one webinar he put on where the interviewer asked him, well, what percentage of, of your practice at, at Middlebury was small area games? He said, mm, 98, like 98%. And I thought, wow. Cause I find even now, like in minor hockey, there, there's a recognition, oh, you should do a couple of those here and there for fun, but otherwise, you know, full ice, uh, tons of full ice flow drills. And there's, there's still a huge, uh, I think belief that, that that's still the way. And I think, I think the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle, but the guy who coaches the team ahead of me at our U15 age group, like he's all in on, on small area games. And I think he takes some criticism and flack for it, but I just, his uh his commitment to it his like his 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 belief in it is just too strong so uh i really follow guys like like him and pj and then again when i was listening to you and, and ludkemeyer talking about philosophy like it just keeps reinforcing and reinforcing you know the cross ice small games and, and situational small games so that's that's one thing that i i think every every parent coach should be trying to learn about and embrace I'm, I try to learn every day more about the philosophy. And then second is um, like mental health. I had a guy last year, so this, this past season, the biggest impact we had in, in the COVID season, like, like everybody, it was so hard. And I think up here, we didn't open up as quickly as you guys did. I, 
I spent like most of the season with 10, 10 player cohorts. So it'd be me alone on the ice a lot of the time with, with 10 guys. And then for the first 45 minutes, the another 45 minutes, 10 new guys would show up. Those guys would leave and we'd be on. We didn't play a single game against like another opponent. So there were kids who, you, who were struggling like in all parts of their life, but in this small part of their life, like it just, that they really lost something last year. felt they lost something. So to uh, what I'm going to do this year, because of our experience last year, I had a guy, um, guy named Kyle Morrison, who's, he's a local uh, coach and, and he's, he actually has a, um, he has a, a blog or a website. I'm not a tech guy, so I'm not even sure of the terminology, but he's, it's all between the years, you know, helping kids with body language and building confidence and, you know, positive self-talk. And again, for some people, it seems really touchy feely, but he, he did about 10 presentations to our team throughout the year. And I think it really helped. Like he talked about how, you know, great athletes struggle with confidence, you know, how, how Venus Williams has to give herself positive self-talk when things aren't going well. So she doesn't just go off the rails, you know, completely and lose her focus. And, and he had a wonderful way of delivering it. So, so I, I just think it's a really untapped source of, of development for young people um, in all parts of life. And I think we can just use hockey, hockey as a, as a forum, you know, to, to, to use it but just helping kids develop mental strength, like all elements of mental strength. And th those two things were, they kind of kept us afloat last year. They made it so that I think most kids in the group would look back and say, you know what, we didn't get to go to tournaments or play games, those things, but it was actually a pretty fun year. You know, lots of competition and learned a lot of cool stuff about what's going on inside my head, you know? Yeah, I, I love both of those. I, I personally have a... Um two-page booklet that I have on uh, self-defeating behaviors. Ooh, cool. Uh, I'm not confident enough to put that out into public quite yet, but uh, I, I love using it and discussing those types of things. Um, so what, what, what do you do with it? If you don't mind me asking, do you share it with your players? Uh, yeah, yeah. So with our Life U sessions, um, I did that cool. two years ago. So I utilized it then and it was, it was really nice and good. And you can see people um, really attached to it or like finding examples um, that but like anything, I, I like specific feedback. I get really annoyed when people are very fluffy and pie in the sky type stuff. As, as you've probably noticed if you've listened to the podcast a few times by now, um, I, I definitely press into the weeds and the details. I think that's where the, the juicy goodness really is. Um, so we'll talk about that. And again, it's the same thing. It's, it's like you set up an environment, you give some prompts, and then you're just asking questions, you know, and, and let the people figure out for themselves, you know, who, who do you talk to more and who do you believe the most? You know, positive self-talk, you talk to yourself the most, self-defeating behaviors and understanding what your behaviors are. I mean, like, there's no one you spend more time with than yourself. So I I'm huge. I'm big into that. I, I mean, I've got a book um, literally called Managing Yourself, Managing Ourselves, uh, that I think is super powerful. And it's, it's the book itself is really dense. Uh, it's by Ari Weinswag from uh, Zingerman's Deli up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's got a bunch of stuff. Actually, the, the most impactful book I've ever done is uh, for Zingerman's Deli. He has a guide to giving great service. Zingerman's so Guide to Giving, I think it's, it's either good or great service. And it's probably my, 
probably my favorite book. It's actually a, a really easy read um, and you can share it with any age group and it'll be, be pretty effective. Um, oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. I can't say I read too many books. I read a lot, but uh, not, not switching to books. And I'm, I'm one of those people who tries to get through as many as possible. Like if I'm not connecting the first five pages, probably not can connect to the next 50, you know, onto the next one um, and, and really power through a lot of stuff like that. So that's what I personally like to do. I'm curious um, as someone who's passionate about this, you know, where do you go to find your inspiration, your knowledge? Um, obviously you've got a, a great big curiosity, um, but just like ways that you find it or ways that people can find good information out there. Cause I feel like there's a ton of it out there and there's a ton of noise. Um, but there is a scarce amount of true quality information that you can take and, and transfer. It's a fair point. Like I, it, you're, you're right. It's almost, it's a fire hose, right? What's available now. So as you know, the way we met was a uh, mother of one of my players. Um, I, I actually enjoy hockey arsenal, hockey arsenal newsletters so much that I, I would send it out sometimes before practices to, to guys uh, to review it and encourage guys to sign up. So obviously I'm a big fan uh, of, of your stuff. I, you know, I think when we were speaking before I said, Jack Han, I just I love the detail he goes into so his ebooks and and his um and and his you know periodic uh stuff that he sends out love love all that stuff um few other guys like that like you i just it maybe even for a different reason like <clears throat> uh you're more at the elite level than i am for me i find this the specificity it's actually valuable because when, when there's missing pieces like I'm, I'm not sure how to close those pieces. So when I hear, when I see guys who, who write really detailed uh, analyses of, of, of a play or, or uh, a concept, it just helps me internalize it, you know? So I've got a few sources like, like those that I keep coming back to, I subscribe to uh, and, and read them every, everything something comes out, I read it and I share it. Uh, and then I, I love books. Like I read everything about John Wooden that I can find, Urban Meyer that I can find, um, uh, John Gordon's a guy like the book, the hard hat, the book you mentioned about how, how to give good service. Like for me, it's the hard hat. I actually give a copy of the hard hat to each of the players on my team for the past two years. And I'll probably do that as long as I'm coaching. It just, it just resonates, you know, like his, his, um, recommendations for how to be a great teammate based on this Cornell lacrosse player. It just hits home. And then the last one that I, I've done a couple of reads on is, is the James Kerr book about the all blacks, you know, where I found sweep the shed. Like it's just the humility to have an 87% winning percentage, the, the most successful elite sports team of all time. And to have, to be that humble. I mean, to be both those things at once is just uh, amazing to me. So tons of books and a few sites. And then just, I will, you know, whenever I run across uh, someone local, we got a whole bunch of great local coaches I'll grab these guys for a coffee anytime I can and just pepper them, you know, to, for the cost of a couple of Starbucks, I get to pepper like in our organization, we got Patrick O'Sullivan and Justin Pereira and uh, PJ Yedden. we got a ton of guys that last year, I, Jamie Storr was the coach of my younger guys team. You know, he played for the Kings and team Canada, like just tremendous, tremendous hockey backgrounds and, and really open sharing guys. Like they open books about their experiences and the kind of stuff that they that they you know you use as resources, uh, those kinds of things. So honestly, I, I'm just a big borrow and steal person. I, I I'll probably 
I'll, I'll probably like, you know, you know, a guy like, uh, like, like store will, will forget more of the next two weeks that I'll ever know, but I'll just grab as much as I can from all those sources. That's awesome. Um, and I would love to give a shout out, uh, to the, one of the parents on your team, Linda, for even connecting us in the first place. Uh, she reached out and was saying how, uh, you would pass along some of our stuff from, from hockey's arsenal, the hockey IQ newsletter. And, uh, I know we ended up connecting and finding out a lot more about you. And I think you just have so much great stuff to share, you know, like this is not a sport that is limited to just a few people. It, it can go much further, um, and it should than, than just a few people. I think there's so many good lessons that you just talked about that anyone can give. doesn't matter if you're a brand new coach or you're someone coming off the NHL and want to give back. Like All of these things are, are worthwhile on so many levels, especially outside of the, uh, the playing service. Totally. You know, and I, I think that, you know, I, I, I think I've heard you, you say it before and others as well to, to have that second string mentality, you know, or the, the rookie mentality and just always, always, you know, the, the hunger to learn more, to be better. And if the kids can feed off that, if that's what you can give kids, huge win. Awesome. Well, well, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down. I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. I'm excited. You're going to have to keep us up to date on, on how your team goes and uh, just, you know, how much fun you guys are having. Cause that's, what's really important about this. I mean, think about all the bonds you're making with your, your own kids and, and all of these teammates. Totally, man. I'm, I'm humbled, Greg. I really appreciate you uh, taking this, you know, the second time to chat with me and, uh, I'll look forward to the next time. Hope you, you come to Toronto, look me up. Come on out and uh, grab one of those Starbucks. The, the border is open, opening up soon. I'm, I'm already talking about uh, how I got to get back up to Toronto. It was one of my favorite vacations. So uh, you don't have to ask me twice. Awesome, man. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks a million. Take care, Greg. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, Remember, we also have a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter as well. Really excited to continue to grow this. So Please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.